Welcome to the Gathering Church Podcast. We are so glad you're joining us today. For more info about The Gathering, you can check out thegathering.online. Thanks for checking out the podcast. Here's today's message. We've been doing a house of prayer. Last week we looked at the story of Elijah on Mount Carmel. And the moment when there was a, a sacrifice, there was a matchup between Elijah against the prophets of Baal. And fire fell from heaven and consumed Elijah's sacrifice. And it showed that the Baal was not truly the God for them to serve. And we took this from knowing that Elijah is a great model of prayer. Once you look at James 5.17, we looked at that last week. I want to show it to you again. It says, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. And so we didn't, we looked at verse 17, we saw that last week, but I want to show you the next verse after that. We didn't read this last week. Look at verse 18. It says, then he, meaning Elijah, he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Elijah prayed for rain to stop, and it stopped. For over three years, it stopped. He prayed for fire from heaven to consume a sacrifice on the altar, and it did. It came and it burned, it burned everything, the sacrifice, the stones, it licked up the water. And then lastly, Elijah prayed for rain to come again, and heaven brought the rain. We've been talking about a house of prayer and the basics, the disciplines of our faith. Because again, just like with anything, with personal revival leads to corporate revival. If we want to be a house of prayer, a church of prayer, we have to be people of prayer. And so last week we looked at the prayer of faith and praying and believing for God to move in our lives. I'm excited. I saw at least two hands raised last week saying, I pray and I feel like God has healed me. I don't know if it was physical, or mental, emotional, whatever it is, God is a healing God. He is willing to heal today. He was willing to heal last week, and I believe he's going to do it again later. And so I want to continue the story today and see what happens immediately after that monumental victory on Mount Carmel. Let's read the passage together in chapter 18, verse 41. It says, And Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of the rushing of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and to drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel. He bowed himself down on the earth and put his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, Go up now toward the sea. And went up and looked and said, There's nothing. And he said, Go again seven times. And on the seventh time he said, Behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. And he said, go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rain stop you. And then a little while the heavens grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel, and the hand of the Lord was on Elijah. He gathered up his garment and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. This is quite an odd series of events that takes place following a victory. 
that dethrones a false god of Baal and announces to all of Israel that Yahweh is the true God. And today we're going to follow up the prayer of faith as the fire came down and consumed the sacrifice with what takes place leading up to the answer of prayer of rain coming back over the land of Israel over time. That, that took time, that prayer, seven times. It was prayers of perseverance. And today's message is entitled, Determined Prayers. Determined Prayers. The story of Elijah is important for us because we see in one instance, one story, we see God answer prayer immediately. And then we see Elijah have to pray seven times in order to receive the answer to the prayer. Sometimes we get the answer right away. Sometimes we have to persevere in that prayer. Let me pray over the message before we get into it. God, we thank you for today. And God, I pray that these people don't need my words. They need your words this morning. So I pray that you would speak to them through the word of God. We thank you that you are in this room. Your presence is felt and you're going to continue to move. We give you all the glory, all the praise. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, worship team. Give it up for the worship team as they transition on. They're doing a great job with us. So we're going to be looking at this passage that I just read to you verse by verse with determined prayers. Let's read that first verse again. Verse 41, it says, Elijah said to Ahab, go up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of the rushing of rain. There's the sound of the rushing of rain. So Elijah's saying, Ahab, you, you can go and enjoy the feast. Go ahead and eat and drink. The rain is coming. The drought's over. Elijah knows the drought is over because he knows the purpose of the drought has been established. It was to defeat the, the worship of Baal. Remember, Baal is the god of the fertility of the land, of lightning and thunder. He could not provide rain. Yahweh could provide the rain. So when the enemy of Baal, when the prophets of Baal were being defeated, the drought could be over. And then, then it says, I hear the sound of the rushing of rain. The sound of the rushing of rain. I decided to, to look at that sentence. And I went to the Hebrew. If you look at the literal translation of what the Hebrew words mean, it actually means the sound of the roar of a heavy shower. The sound of the roar of a heavy shower. In the Hebrew, that's only three words. The first word in Hebrew is the word kol. Q-O-L, kol. It means there is the sound. Do you know the first time that the word kol is used in the Bible? It's back in the very beginning of time. Genesis chapter 3 is the first time we see the word coal used in the Bible, and it was used to explain when Adam and Eve heard the sound of God walking in the garden. You see, in the natural, it was just the sound of water. I think in the supernatural, what it means is it was the sound of the beginning of a movement from God. God was moving in response to the prayers of Elijah and restoring the land. So the first Hebrew word is kol, the second word is hamal, which means the roar. 
It can mean the roar of a sound of a crowd, but, but it can also mean, the word can be taken to mean abundance. And I'm wondering, I don't know this for certain, I'm wondering if you could take that to mean the sound of the roar of a heavy shower to mean the sound of a move of God, the God of abundance for the people of Israel. And I wonder if Elijah was saying, I hear the sound of a move of God that's going to bring prosperity over the land. And he was believing and hearing less about his natural ears. And he was hearing with his supernatural ears, believing in faith and being in tune with what God wanted to do. Because if you look later in the passage, you, you see the rain isn't there yet. The rain hasn't come yet, right? We're on the same page. The rain's not there yet. It doesn't come for a while. But yet Elijah knew in faith what God wanted to do. And he knew the nature of God would be to not only answer the prayer of the righteous, not only give him enough for what he asked for, but to give in excess, abundance, more than enough. When we look at determined prayers, when we pray with determination... We have to know our first point. Number one, we have to know that we are praying to the God of abundance. We're praying to the God of abundance. Does everyone know that when you pray to God, you're praying to the God of abundance? Everybody awake? Amen. I know I got right into the message. It might have felt dry. I didn't give you any stories. I didn't give you any jokes. I just started throwing Hebrew words at you. Amen. The God of abundance. We love to come to God with confidence knowing that he answers us and he answers us with just enough, just, just barely enough to satisfy what we need. No, God does not do anything half-hearted or just enough to get by. His blessings are overflowing. He poured out the oil to the widow back earlier in Elijah's story. He pours out that oil for the widow in need. Does he give her just enough to make it through the drought and the, and the bad season? No, he gives her enough for every single jar in her house to fill. And only then did it stop. He's the God of abundance. He didn't just take that sacrifice and put enough fire on it to make it medium, well, maybe, maybe full. No, he burned the whole thing. Destroyed everything, the stones. He's the God of abundance. When we pray to God, we have to believe that he is the God of abundance. In Hebrews 11:6, it says that when we come to God, we must believe two things. That he exists and he rewards those who seek him. God's the rewarder. He gives to those who seek him. How do we seek God? Prayer. We pray, right? That is how we start a conversation with God. So we're praying to the God who rewards us and gives in abundance. Paul shares a, a powerful prayer in the book of Ephesians. It, it's, no, it's known as one of the, the prayers of spiritual strength. You need spiritual strength in your life. Read and pray this prayer in your prayer life. Read from Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, 
being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Paul has this lengthy prayer. He starts with saying, I bow before my God in prayer. You know that you can bow before God? That, that's a model, that's a posture of prayer in the Bible. It's not the only way that you have to pray, but it demonstrates humility before God. Saying, I'm coming before you on my knees because your ways are higher, you are greater to me. Paul begins his prayer saying that, and then he says, through the power of the Holy Spirit, if, you, if I could sum up that whole prayer into one sentence, he is praying for strength through the power of the Holy Spirit to have a love that goes beyond our human understanding. That's what that prayer is. Let me say that again. That prayer, boiling it down, it's a prayer for strength through the power of the Holy Spirit to have love for others that surpasses our own understanding. And then after Paul says all that, the reason he's able to pray this prayer in faith is the next two verses. Read verse 20 and 21. If you didn't pay attention to the last two verses, pay attention to this one. This is how Paul says that I'm praying. I'm praying to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we can ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. We can ask for strength because we are asking the one who is capable of giving us more than anything that we can think or we can ask. If you can believe that God is going to move, he can move and he can do beyond what you think. Just remember that next time that you want to pray, but you're having doubts that God's going to answer. Anybody else have doubts that God's going to answer when you're praying? You're like, yeah, I, I, want, to, I, I want to believe for that family member, but man, I've seen them go through so many rough things. I don't, I don't know if I can pray that prayer believing they can come back to God again. My, my finances are a mess. I don't know how I'm ever going to get out of debt at this point. I don't know how I'm ever going to find that right person for me, that soulmate for me. I don't see how I'm ever going to get into a job that I love and I'm passionate about. I keep getting stuck in jobs that are just, that are wearing it and the wear and tear on my life. If you can believe for it in God, if you can fathom that he can do it, he can because we serve the God of abundance. Clap if you believe today that you serve the God of abundance. Use, use that prayer in Ephesians in your prayer life. Would you say, God, I know that I serve you who are able, you are able to do far more exceedingly, abundantly, immeasurably more than I can think or ask according to the power of Jesus Christ within me. We pray to God. We serve the God who gives more than enough. That is why Elijah was able to say, I hear the sound of the roar of a rushing rain. He could say it because he believed it. Look at the next verse, verse 42. It says, so Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel 
and he bowed himself down on the earth and put his face between his knees. So Elijah's coming off an incredible victory. He climbs to the top of the mountain, gets away from everyone, and he bows down to the earth. Kind of an odd response to what God has done. This is supposed to be a moment of celebration. You know, I, I would compare this to any type of peak in your life of accomplishments, whether it's, whether it's personal or it's occupational, that you, you, hit, you climb this mountain, you achieve this great thing. That's a moment you think Elijah would be looking for some pats on the back, like I've been doing this all on my own. None of you believe me until the fire of God came. You need to hoist me up and put me up on your shoulders. Like we should be celebrating. That's not what Elijah does. His first action immediately after victory was to get alone with God. And not only acknowledge God, but to bow down on the earth, his face between his knees. That's a weird posture. Can you fathom that? I, like, I was in my office trying to figure out how to do it. You know, like, what exactly did Elijah do? I don't know for certain. I wasn't there. But if you look at different versions, it, it looks like it meant to crouch down. I don't know if he was doing something like, I can barely do this. I don't know if he was doing something like this. And I think there's two reasons for why he was doing that. First is because I think he was physically tired from the, the emotional, the mental, the, the spiritual toll of what he had to do going against the prophets of Baal. But I think it was more than that. I think it was a way for him to keep his arrogance and his pride in check and stay humble before God and say, I didn't do anything that just happened down there. God, you did it. And I'm coming before you right now to defer to you. Our second point as we pray, a determined prayer before God, we have to know, number one, he's the God of abundance, right? And number two, we pray with humility. We have to come before God with humility. Elijah was wise enough to get away from the distractions and bow down before God. Bowing down in humility. There's multiple times in the Bible you see the physical importance of bowing down and kneeling in prayer. Now, this is not considered the normal posture of prayer in culture, okay? In those days, the normal posture for prayer was actually to be standing up with your hands raised towards heaven, receiving what God had for you. That was the normal posture, but this position of kneeling and bowing, it was actually in contrast because it was showing complete humility. I'm coming before you, God, but I'm begging you to move in my life. You can see it all throughout the Bible. We just saw it in Ephesians, right? When Paul is praying in that, in Ephesians 3, he says, For this reason, I bow before the Father. There's other examples. Solomon, he knelt in prayer before God as he was dedicating the temple that had just been built. Ezra cried out on his knees, asking for forgiveness for the people of Israel. If you look at what David said in Psalm 95, 6, he said, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Think about Daniel. Daniel made it a habit each day to go into his house and kneel and pray God. Think about people that came to Jesus kneeling, asking for mercy, asking for healing. Think about Stephen. About to be stoned to death. He knelt down and cried out for God in that moment before 
He went to heaven. Think about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, kneeling, crying out for God. The moments before his, his arrest and to be taken to his crucifixion. Humility and weakness is saying, God, I am nothing. there's nothing important about me except for the fact that I'm your son and daughter. That makes me important, but apart from you, I, can, I can't do anything. I don't care how high your rank is in your life, your position. I don't care what great position you have at work or wherever you're at. The Bible says every knee will bow. Every single tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And I'd rather do it right now than wait till the end of time with everyone else when we're all going to have to do it. I want to do it voluntarily, independently, say right now, God, I, de I declare that you are Lord. I bow before you now as my maker. I defer to you now. I'm not waiting till the end of time to do that. Amen. I remember as a child occasionally getting to be in worship services with the rest of the adults. I, I loved doing that as a kid. And it was interesting when we have time at the front altar space, and I would see parents and leaders and men and women that I looked up to in the church, and they were bowing down before God in prayer and worship. Now, these are people that are a big deal to me. I look up to them. And they were choosing to make themselves small to glorify and honor God as they sat there and they worshiped Him. It spoke to me as a kid. Elijah, he had to bow down on the earth, his face between his knees. And I encourage us to bow before God. It's biblical. You're not going to see me in that position that Elijah did. I don't know how he did that, but I'm going to bow down. That dude was limber. He was in shape. I don't know what he was doing. I probably need to do more of it to get in better shape. But he bent low with humility and prayer. Then what does it say happens next? Verse 43. It says, and he said to his servants, go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, there's nothing. And he said, go again seven times. Seven times. Not five, not six, seven times. We really don't know anything about the servant until the moment. I don't even know he's there. And all of a sudden, he's telling the servant to do something. Like, oh, okay, Elijah had a servant there, apparently. So Elijah's crouched down, and he tells his servant to go and look toward the sea. And the intention with that is to go and look for the rain. Look for the rain that Elijah's already announced is coming. The servant goes up, he looks, and he says, there's nothing. And Elijah says, go again. Go again, go again, go again, go again. I don't know how far the servant had to go, but I'm guessing it was, it was at least some sort of distance because it's not something that Elijah could look and see for himself in that moment. It was at least far away from Elijah beyond his, his vision could see. And if you're the servant, let's, let's be honest for a second. If you're the servant, after two or three times, you come back and you tell him there's nothing, and he says, go again. You're like, you go again. You go again, right? Don't act like you're too great for that, that you're holier than now, that you would have just kept going and kept going. I'm looking at that like, maybe four times for me. <laughs> maybe four times. To the servant's credit, he continued to go and look. And what happened? Verse 44. At the seventh time, he said, behold, 
a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. And he said, go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rain stop you. So on the seventh time, the servant comes back. And this is how I'm assuming he, re he responds. I had it all planned out of how I thought the servant responded, that he would have been snarky and been like, yeah, there's something, but it's like barely out there. It's like the size of my hand coming from the sea. But he said, behold. And typically in the Bible, that, that means something serious. It means look. If there's an emphasis there. And so I believe that, they, again, they had not had rain for over three years. Just seeing a cloud come up from the sea, knowing there's precipitation, there's moisture in that cloud, would be a big deal. I'm not an expert on weather, Brent. Maybe you can give me more information on weather and clouds later. But, but I believe that in that moment, it was a big deal that there's a chance of rain about to come three years later. And this sign, this small little cloud, the size of a man's hand far away, was all Elijah needed to say, God is moving and he's answering my prayer. But it took seven times. As we get ready to close, our third and final point today, prayer, a determined prayer, requires persistence. We have to be persistent. We have to persevere in prayer. What if Elijah had chosen after four or five times to stop sending the servant? What if the servant had said, I'm not going anymore, I'm not doing that? What would have happened? Maybe God would have been faithful to his word anyways. I don't know, but the fact that Elijah... How many times do you think it would have taken for Elijah to say no? To stop going? I'm just curious. These are the things... I don't know what you think about when you read the Bible. These are the things I think about when I read the Bible. Like, how many more times would Elijah kept saying, Go up again. Go look again. Do it again. It was persistence in prayer. When we pray, we have to be willing to pray repeatedly. Continually. To ask God for the things that we need. It's awesome when God responds right away. I'm not going to lie to you. That's, that's the most powerful. It's like, yes, thank goodness I didn't have to keep going. God answered my prayer. But what happens when in a moment of passion we get excited for something and we pray for it and then we don't see it and then we don't pray for it again? Where's our perseverance? There are some things that I believe we will only see as we continue to come to God in prayer. And I want to illustrate that for you. Worship team, come join me. I want to show you a quick parable as we close today on what Jesus said, a story of perseverance. Read with me from Luke chapter 18. Verse 1, it says, He told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while, he refused. But afterward, he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. 
And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? Tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? I don't know about you, to, to me this is not a familiar passage. And I'm familiar with the parable of the prodigal son. I'm familiar with the parable of the, the farmer who sowed the seeds. I don't know a lot about this parable. But Jesus explains the reason for this parable in the very first verse. What does it say? The very first verse it says, The parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. What this parable is all about is saying, do not give up, be determined. Because if a widow could continue to pester and bother a judge for justice for her in her situation, and that judge would eventually give in, he didn't love God, it says, the judge didn't even care about people, probably in the wrong occupation, right? But this judge, not a good judge, not a good person. And yet he was willing because she continued to pester him, gave her what she was looking for. How much more do we serve a God who loves us as a good heavenly father and desires to give to us? If we continue to ask him, he will give what we are needing and what we're seeking for. It says at the end of that, of that passage, nevertheless, what do we need? When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? I'm asking you today, do you have the determination, the resilience, the persistence to continue to see God that when you don't get that answer to prayer the fourth time or the fifth time that you're willing to continue to seek God in prayer. We can't allow discouragement to prevent us from continually asking God, seeking God, knocking. The Bible says he will open up the doors for us if we will knock. So today I'm wondering, is there anybody that's willing to bombard heaven with your prayers again. Because let's be honest, some of us have lost heart. Do you think every single prayer that I answer gets prayed right away? Do you think there are things that I've been seeking God for and I've found all the answers? I, I wish I could say yes. But it will only come as we continue to seek God, search, knock, ask, pray, some of us have lost heart, and I get it. Maybe you've had that prayer where you've started out the beginning of your day, or, or you're ending your day in prayer, and you're praying different things to God, and you get to that one prayer request that's been on your mind that you've prayed to God multiple times, but you've had that doubt that says, what's the point of praying that again? What's it? God's already heard it a thousand times. Why should I pray it again? His word says for us to keep seeking. Ask a seventh time. Ask a hundredth time. Ask a thousandth time. One more time. We're going to close with this and then we're going to go into worship. 
There's a quote from C.S. Lewis from his book called The Screwtape Letters. I don't know if you're familiar with C.S. Lewis. This book here is very unique because it's a book written from the viewpoint of a demon. So the protagonist and the antagonist, those roles are reversed in this book. When you read it, you have to be thinking, wait, who's the enemy? Oh, he's talking about God. God's his enemy, not our enemy. That's who he's talking about. And this quote from the book, check this out. It says, but of course the enemy, again, that's God, the enemy will not meantime be idle. Because whenever there is prayer, there's danger of his own immediate action. He is cynically indifferent to the dignity of his position and ours as pure spirits. And to human animals on their knees, he pours out self-knowledge and in quite a shameless fashion. I love that. Favorite thing, whenever there's prayer, there's danger. I'm just going to stop there. We have the ability to pray dangerous prayers to the King of Heaven. And there is danger of his own immediate action. Why? Because he does not consider his position on the throne something to take lightly or to not concern himself with mere humans. He actually will be undignified in order to stoop down and help a son or daughter that is calling to him. There's danger to the enemy when we pray to God and believe in an answer for prayer. And I believe today God is asking if we would pray one more time. There's danger that just like Elijah on the seventh time asked his servant, I think rain is coming for someone today. I believe breakthrough is coming for someone today. I believe physical, mental, emotional healing is here today if you're willing to pray again. Church, can we pray today like there's danger of his immediate response? I'm going to invite you to join me in a moment here, in a moment. I'm going to invite you to join me to the front. If there's something that you've been praying for for months, for years, and you've been waiting for God to respond, I believe today is your day. And here's how we're going to do it. I'm not going to pray with you yet. That can come in a moment. But I'm going to ask you to pray like Elijah did, not crouching, not in an uncomfortable position. But if you're willing to kneel down, to bow down here at your chair, wherever, and see God again, and believe that he will respond to your prayer, I believe God has plans for you. Why don't you stand as we get ready to, to move in this time of response? God, we thank you for this opportunity to come to get against you in prayer. We believe that just like your word says in that parable, that as a judge who doesn't care about God, doesn't care about people, if he would be willing to answer a widow just because of the persistence, how much more so will God, you respond to your children when they call on you? God, answer us, God. Just like Elijah says, answer us today so that we will see the witness. We will witness what you've done and announce the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. 
We come before you today. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's worship you. Thank you for listening to today's message. The Gathering is a place where you can belong to a church that loves you, believe in the God who is bigger than you, and become who God created you to be. For updates, service times, or ways to get involved, check out thegathering.online. And if you enjoyed listening today, consider rating it or sharing it with a friend. We love you. The best is yet to come.